Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffenroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm going to be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. Today, I'm talking with Christine Gotro. She is a social worker and has been a life coach for over 15 years. She helps the helpers, and that includes caregivers, therapists, authors, healers, anyone who is a helper. And Christine is a heart-centered, engaged coach. She uses movement, storytelling, and voice to facilitate healing and help people identify and fulfill their dreams and purpose. She has expertise in ADHD, creativity, health and wellness, career adoption, and interplay. She is also co-author of the book Still Point, which I highly recommend. It's a self-care playbook for caregivers to find ease, time to breathe, and reclaim joy. Christine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks for having me. It is delightful to see you this morning. Oh, it's so great to be with you. So tell us a little bit about what you do, who you are. Right. You were reading that intro and I'm like, it's always nice to have people reflect back to you. Um, (laughs) You know, there are so many ways I identify. You know, the first thing I want to state is, you know, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a caregiver, I'm a social worker. I am all those things. Bringing my full self to this crazy, chaotic world, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so, and I'm an author and a coach and a speaker and a podcaster, all that part that is my career. But as a social worker and a systems person, I have to bring all of it, right? Because it impacts all of us. And especially as women and as caregivers, we're often taught in systems, oh, if you just do it this way. And it doesn't take in all those other pieces that we're holding and juggling and all the grief and gratitude and caregiving and people waking us up in the middle of the night. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Say that again. (laughs) So I bring all that. And, you know, what I love to do is I love to work with individuals and families to help them find joy and ease and time to breathe in the midst of a lot of times really chaotic situations, which to be fair in 2020, that's the whole world right now. So, (laughs) right. Extra crazy. Right? Yes. So true. Yeah. yeah. And I know you and I connected. Um, we we were at another event together and we were talking about adoption. So early in my career as a social worker, I was I worked in foster care and adoption for over 10 years. Really some of the most meaningful work I've done in my life as far as connecting with families and children and you know, part of, I was a caseworker for a while, um, but a big part of my job was as a trainer and getting folks prepared for foster care and adoption, which I was thinking about our conversation this morning, right? I was thinking about our conversation. I was like, 
the reality, the truth, like, and I, the reality and the truth is you can't ever prepare somebody for what they're about to go on this journey. Right. Right. Absolutely. There's too many variables. variables. Like we can give you tools, we can give you tricks, we can give you techniques and we can be there as a support. Um, But it's any parenting journey. You, you just don't know until you get there. Right. It's true. And I think when you're an adoptive parent, you're Mm -hmm. in a fog, you know, you're there for a million reasons. Who knows, you know, uh, infertility, uh, always wanting to adopt and grow your family that way, whatever reason. But um, there's a lot going on, I think, that gets you to adoption. And so your head is already in the clouds and you're nervous, excited that, you know, it's almost like being at the doctor's office where you need to bring somebody else who can repeat back to you what was said because you're clouded and you don't hear it all or you maybe are in a honeymoon phase too full of excitement. So even with that training, I think I know we missed a lot, you know, especially about the reactive attachment disorder. I think I remember even a couple coming in and talking to us about it, but the magnitude of that definitely did not hit home. And Probably so. I don't think they want to scare you at the, you know, training. So I would get that feedback. Like, are you trying to scare us? And I'm like, no, I'm just trying to prepare. Like, I'm trying to be realistic. And, right. and, and the reality of whether it's through adoption, whether it's through foster care, whether it's through birth parents, you know, we all have a vision and a dream in our head about what it's going to be like. Like some people have had that since they were tiny, you know, playing with their dolls the first time. And the dream, no matter which category you're in or in all of them, doesn't, it's very rare that it matches reality because we don't dream about getting woken up by throw up in the middle of the night. We don't <laughs> dream about the severe sleep deprivation, the many doctors appointments, like all the things, right? All the things. And, one of the things I want to circle back around with Tracy was when you said you're in a fog, I think the other thing that contributes to that is you're not in control. Like there's so much getting ready, getting ready, turning in this paperwork, doing this, doing that, making this criteria. And then you wait. And sometimes it's a really short wait. And sometimes it's a really long wait. And sometimes there's placements in between. And so like, there's just stuff on top of stuff. Right. There's so many layers and a lot of times layers of grief. That's big. Yeah. That's what's behind it. A big piece for sure. Yeah. Well, when you think about adoption, it is based, it's a system based on grief. And our culture really doesn't do a fantastic job of talking about grief and, and, how do we work with that? And how do we, how do we navigate a system that starts out that way? That is really powerful. I think I knew that in my heart, but I never could put it into words, verbalize it like that, put it out there. That's huge. So what does that bring? You know, people coming in and working in a system of grief, or starting in grief. Right? Yeah. So many people, I think the first thing is the acknowledgement, right? 
because we can't heal it or we can't work with it if we don't look at it, right? When you said, like, sometimes it's based in infertility. Sometimes it's based in other reasons. But, you know, taking a peek at it, like, and doing some work with a support system or a support person around the grief. Um, my co-author, Sheila K. Collins, who is a grief expert, one of the things she has always taught me is we must make art out of what happens to us. And as a creative and as an artist and as a, you know, that's one of my tools and techniques is I'm going to make some art out of it, whether that's writing about it, whether it's dancing about it, whether it's creating a painting about it, not to show other people, but to process what am I feeling or doing and going. And as a body wise worker and somebody who really believes in somatic healing, you know, if we don't move those stories and that grief out of our body, it can create long-term problems for us and the folks around us. So I'm a big believer in like, what can we do to see it and acknowledge it and move it? Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but you know, let's interact with it. And you know, that's huge. I'm learning, but I've definitely seen and heard read <clears throat> that theme that the somatic piece is the place you, you have to start or nothing else happens. So tell me, have you worked with or how do you work with people that come to you that can't even begin to think about self-care? You know, they are so battered and their life is so chaotic. A lot of our listeners have kids with reactive attachment disorder and other things like you work with yeah. ADHD, everything. Yeah. And the last thing you can even think of is, or maybe even think that you even want is self-care or deserve. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's a big piece as women Huge. and in our culture and our society, like we think, I mean, well, first of all, the myth that self-care is selfish, right? That if we take a moment for ourselves, well, this is such a complicated topic, even as I feel it <laughs> rising up in myself, Tracy, because the other thing especially as as moms who take on a lot and as adoptive moms are i mean if you are an adoptive mom and listening to this podcast i honor you because you you know you're doing it all like we think about this in what we do as women even in a society that you know is trying to be more equal the reality is the studies are still showing. We're doing most of the housework. We're doing most of the parenting. We're doing most, of, you know, even when we have great partners. So I think that the first, the dispelling the myth that self-care is selfish. And it's got to be in balance. But for those that don't have even a moment, what I do is I'll do like a quick session because you may not have an hour. So you may need a 15-minute or a 30-minute session. But the first thing we do is get you in your body. And remember to breathe because I know from my own life when things were really stressful and really chaotic I didn't want to be in my body because it hurt to be in my body whether I wasn't getting enough sleep I wasn't taking care of myself so it was easier to live in my head or just kind of live outside of my body than be present in my body and it really took a significant health issue to my body was like hey you're going to listen, 
because if you don't stop, I'm going to stop you, mm -hmm. which I can't tell you how many caregivers I've had this exact same conversation with. Yes. Caregiving is a dangerous, a dangerous profession, y'all whether you are a private caregiver or a professional caregiver. And every mom, every parent is a private caregiver. Just know, like, you know, we think, we tend to think, oh, caregiving, we're taking care of the elderly or we're taking care of somebody who has a long-term um, disability or, you know, every parent is a caregiver. Now there's different levels. Like you talked about, Tracy, when you've got a kiddo that has special needs or has, you know, reactive attachment disorder, you've got, different layers of caregiving on top of that and you're holding a lot more in your body than other people are so the first thing i do is get folks in their body and that could be just with taking a deep breath and letting it out with a big old sigh and i know that sounds so simple and like oversimplified but so often we breathe shallow because we're in a hurry or we are not wanting to be in our bodies so literally taking 30 seconds to a minute which i know sometimes we don't feel like we have it just maybe it's when we're in the bathroom maybe it's when we're in the shower maybe when it's when we're walking out to get the mail and if we can walk out to get the mail take that minute for yourself right so i work with folks to find where can we put in little moments of self-care because the reality is, yes, we'd all love to go to the spa. Not that we can do it in 2020 right now. But, you know, we have that commercialized version of, oh, I'm going to go to the spa. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. Sometimes we don't have access to it because we don't have the means for it or we don't have the time for it or we don't have, we don't have respite and people that can take care of our children. Because especially with adoptive kids that have special needs, it's more, it can be more challenging and more destructive in your family to take time for yourself if you're having to manage the chaos that happens with somebody that's untrained coming in and helping you. That is so true. And you know, you raise a really good point because in doing the work that I do, and especially through the podcast, interviewing different parents, I am really finding a pattern. And the pattern is one that like what you say, moms and parents are not in their body. They're at this high, constant, continuous stress that they're living in to the guilt that they feel they need to do everything for that child that they sacrifice themselves, whether they recognize that they are or not. And then the third thing, which I think you kind of led into is that, you know, chronic stress and uh, not taking care of yourself and doing everything and feeling guilty if you do anything for yourself or make a rule that might not be the norm, but you have to do it to survive, that can lead to illness. And that is happening in this particular group of people like it does in many other groups. But that is also sadly a, a theme. And you know, I had cancer, not to make this all about me, but I had a little bit of preemptive kind of insight into it because when we were, um, and as we go through our, you know, experience with our daughter with reactive attachment disorder, um, at one point I remember telling myself, I am going to get so sick and ill that I might not come back from that. 
It might be something that I die from. I just knew in my core that I was starting to feel that sense again, but I'd had that experience previously. So I had some warning signs, but they're important to pay attention to. So I think I'm just trying to lead to how important your work is or any of us out there helping these families and caregivers and moms and um, dads uh, because you have to save yourself. Right. You know, because here's the reality. It's like the when we used to be able to fly. <laughs> <Safely. Right. laughs> you know, that airplane, when they say, if you're flying with a child or somebody that needs help, put your oxygen mask on first. Because the reality is, is if you go down and out, especially for a lot of these kids and people were taking care of, there's not somebody else to do what you do for them, you know? Right. So it is vital. It's not, you know, it is vital that we find ways to take care of ourselves. And everybody's different, right? Self-care may look totally different from one person to the next. Sometimes some of my clients, self-care is lighting a candle while they pay their bills and give gratitude for paying their bills in a in five minute calendared, you know, that's their self-care. Now you think, well, Christine, that doesn't sound as much fun as a massage, but <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but the thing is, is like what works for the person? Like what every person is different and what their needs are are different. Just like our kids are, just like our families are. And that letting go of the what it's supposed to be like for what truly is and looking for the gifts, even in the midst of the challenges of what truly is, I think that's key. Yeah. Is how do we do that? Yeah. And my big thing too, which I think you're also saying is, you know, we talked about the somatic starting there before anything else can happen, going within your body and breathing and working with that grief. But I think another thing is mindset, you know, it, and what you're saying is changing your mindset about self-care and what that is, mindset about you matter, mindset about your situation. You know, I think that's a, a big turning point too, key. Right. With my clients, I often work with affirmations with, we create personal affirmations for them because you may only have 10 seconds, but if you can repeat an affirmation to yourself, that's a step towards self-care, like changing that mindset. Um, I was I was teaching a class earlier, Tracy, and I'm going to pop it up and I'm going to read um, something to you because this is the one for myself that I, if I needed something tattooed across my forehead backwards so I could read it in the mirror every day, this is the one. And I think it's, it's about talking about what self-care is not. So self-care is not continuing to educate and train ourselves to withstand more stress in order to take on more stress. Right? I'm going to say that one again, because that's the one. Yes. Like that. This is why, you know, we often teach or do the work that we need to learn ourselves. So this one right here, this one sentence, I think is like sums it up for me. Self-care is not continuing to educate and train ourselves to withstand more stress in order to take on more stress. So that's another thing that I really do is I look at what are we needing in the moment? Like what is, because the, the reality is, especially as adoptive parents, 
there may be weeks, months, years that you don't have respite, right? And the thing that's different with adoptive parents than a lot of folks is you sometimes don't get the warm fuzzies, right? Parenting is hard. It doesn't matter, like, we got all the version of parenting, but, you know, anybody that's a parent knows. It is hard. Just like relationships are hard and marriage is hard. And, like, it's one of those top ten, like, oh, my gosh, this is hard. Send me up for this, right? <laughs> um, and the thing with kiddos that are working on attachment or have reactive attachment disorder is often you don't get the kudos, you know, you don't get the I love you's, you don't get the little moments that keep you going. So we have to build that in a different way. You got to get that from somewhere else. Because if we're expecting the, expecting to get it from folks that can't give it to us, that sets us up for more, for more grief and loss, really. And so shifting some of those expectations. One of the things we talk about in the book, what self-care is. Self-care is tuning in and recognizing earlier and earlier the subtle physical signs of potential difficulties. That's what you were mentioning, like you had warning ahead of time, right? Caring people become good at reading other people's body language. Clenched jaw, stooped shoulders, and sad eyes. And as parents, I know we're really good at that with our kids too, right? Self-care means tuning into ourselves and learning how to read our own body language. And here's the big one, right? Especially for moms. And quit ignoring it when it tells us something. Oh, I just got chills. <laughs> Woo, yeah. Yes. I was on a street corner. That's not, not the way it sounds. Let me finish the story. <laughs> See, this is I not that show. <laughs> in street corner in Houston, Texas. I was outside the aquarium. I had just put on a fundraiser for the 50th anniversary of Homes of St. Mark, which was the adoption agency that I worked with. We had 500 people. I was standing on the street corner with the box of stuff that there always is after an event. You know, people have left this or there's lost and found. It was probably about midnight. And at this point in my life, I had two young kids. I was commuting I mean, it was Houston, and it was there was there was um, construction, so I was probably commuting an hour plus each way, and I was trying to do it all. I was the social worker. I was training foster and adoptive parents. We had budget cuts, so I was being the development director. Um, I was raising kids. You know, just all the things, right? All of it, right? So mm -hmm. I'm standing on the street corner, and I remember, like. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. And I set the box down. Now, I'm going to say this because it's really important. When you decide to set some stuff down, hold on to your immune system. Because I woke up the next morning with an autoimmune issue where I had Bell's palsy and major medical issue, right? And it was all tied into not making a decision, not doing self-care, ignoring my body for way too long, and then realizing, oh, I've got a problem, and then just really, <laughs> boom, finding moments, like, Man. right? And my body was like, hey, we're going to address this and deal with this. Now, I'm a slow learner, Tracy. Like, <laughs> I always tell, like, 
So those posse is one of those autoimmune things that I like. It's like 0.001% of the population get it right. I got it two more times before I figured this out. Two more times? Two more times. I'm a slow <laughs> learner. By the third time, I'm like, oh, wait. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and this is part of my healthcare journey. This was part of writing this book. It was part of recognizing what my pattern was, was, oh, I'll get to that. Oh, you know, how we do as moms, how we do as caregivers. Oh, this is something little and tossing it behind me, right? I'll take care of that later. I'll take care of that after I take care of everybody else's needs. Well, then you turn around. I was going to say, or we minimize and think, Absolutely. you know, you'll, I remember hearing people say, I can't believe what you're doing. I could never do that. And I thought, what? It's not, that's not that stressful. Right? Because it comes in little bites, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when we're in it, it's that old cliche statement about not seeing the forest for the trees, right? It's one little thing and we're tossing it behind us. And then we look behind us and there's this giant mountain of stuff that we're either, it's either behind us or we're carrying it in our bodies of stress and grief and loss. And so creating a space and making a plan a safe plan for yourself to deal with it because that's the other thing we know to be true right i can say oh you've got to deal with it but how do you create that container how do you create that space and the time and oftentimes it's not work you really want to do by yourself because you can open up it's kind of like pandora's box right you open up the box and you have no idea what's about to come out so you want to have somebody on that journey with you being able to catch and reel you back in if they need to. And I'm glad you say that because I think, you know, myself included, being a parent, a rad mom, you know, you get used to the fact that there aren't any resources or very, very few. It's very scarce out there for resources for families and the kids. And so I think, you know, you get used to feeling like they're aren't people out there to help you. So I'm glad there are, you know, I'm glad we're talking to you today because I think it's important to recognize that. And that's my job too, is bringing to the forefront. Uh, there are people and here we are, you know, and so let's keep that going because you don't have to feel alone, but you do feel alone. And then I think another thing I just wanted to point out is, you know, these parents are already feeling like, it's so chaotic and they don't have anything left that it almost seems impossible. And as a rad parent, you deal with such big, big things, you know, and I know it's a spectrum. And so, you know, it can vary on what you're dealing with, you know, whether it's behaviors, whether it's suicide, whether it's homicidal issues, it can be very, very scary. And so what a lot of rad parents do is they minimize, you know, they deal with such big stuff that regular stuff that would stress a regular parent out uh, is no big deal because right. compared to what you're dealing with, uh, we, you know, we're not going to worry about that. I'm terrible. I can't think of a, of a situation, but I think you get what I mean. Absolutely. It's like, and you know, that stuff is still wearing. Even yes. if it's, it is like, you know, how, how water can flow over rock and completely change the way a rock goes. Um, having, having a support team 
and whether that's a friend that you can trust. And I know this is where it gets tricky, right? This is where it gets tricky, especially around adoption, because you got to have somebody that understands some of the issues, mm. because I think, first of all, feeling like as a parent, whether it's a birth parent, a foster parent, or an adoptive parent, we can feel like we failed when when it's really not ours to feel but but they, we're trained as society we're trained as human beings we're you know all that so we come in with that feeling of feeling judged like we're failing at something mm -hmm. and so needing somebody that first of all understands and sometimes our family members are not that person because our family members are connected to us, right? Yeah. They've been connected to us for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and they don't understand often when it comes to adoptive issues, when it comes, you know, they were all for it when it looked like the storybook version, but when it's real, and I mean, and also, they're that way sometimes with birth, parents, birth kids too, as right. far as if they don't act a certain way or behave a certain way or, you know, you get judgment and feedback and, oh, you're not, doing it right 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 that's especially as women like we're just so we get all these messages oh if you'd only tried this or if you only well i can guarantee you we've tried it yes we've tried it we've read it we've done it we've gotten you know and yeah it's you know that's not working no that's not working oh so, yeah and so finding somebody whether it's a coach or a therapist or a support group who can hear your story because that's the other thing y'all is it may not be fixable but you need somebody to walk on this journey with you and hear your story and know that you're not alone and know that you're doing the best you can because if you could do better you would you're doing the absolute best you can and to give yourself like that's what I do with clients too, is let's not minimize what you are doing, right? Because I can guarantee you, you're doing more than you think you are. I was looking up a quote. You got me thinking about quotes. And, uh, I love quotes. I know, I do too. A good friend of mine posted this the other day and it says, before you heal someone, ask him if he's willing to give up the things that made him sick. And I think that goes for parents, caregivers, you know, rad parents. Before you heal someone, ask them if he's willing to give up the things that made him sick. And that I find is huge because we just carry on. We're not willing to, it's that shift in mindset. It's that recognition or the guilt feeling that you have to be that person to do it all. You signed up for this. You need to fix it. Whatever it is. You know, you have to be able to let all of that go because that is what's keeping you where you are and can lead down that path of, of getting worse yourself, your own health and sanity, really. Well, and commitment can look different, like in different ways. You know, one of the things I always taught was that commitment was the number one thing you needed as, as a, a foster adoptive parent. I mean, really, as, as any parent, like commitment because it's not a short-term thing right but commitment can look different like that doesn't you can still be committed to a child and then not live be living in your home every day you can still love and support them and that i think that's the hardest thing folks is the 
the letting go of the storybook about what it's supposed to look like or what it's supposed to be or what, you know, what the media tells us it is and what's really in the best interest of this child and this family and what's needed there. You know, I have a dear friend who we were, um, her grandson ran away this week and has some big issues going on and not easy. Like these are big, you know, having a teenager out in the snow and the ice in, in a place that we don't know where they are. They're safe. Like they're, we're dealing with big issues. Yeah. I can't tell you how many calls I got in the middle of the night. Tended to be from my teenagers, right? <laughs> that, um, I mean, these issues start when they're younger, especially with, with Rad, but it's not like there's a magic wand and they poof. Commitment can look different. Kids may need different living environments. They may, may need different support. They may need, um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and I mean, I think that's just us in human beings, right? Like, let's let's check in with each other and this this amazing little being that's in front of us. And what do they need for their highest good? Right. Yeah. And I think recognizing, too, that it's also a system that's focused, and rightly so, don't take this the wrong way about around the child. But I think the family piece of it and the parenting piece of it gets overlooked. And so what about that group? And I love how you're saying it's not just the child, but it's the family, the entire family, because every it's the system. Yeah. And every piece in that system matters. Every person matters. And I also love that you're saying constantly is that you're really looking at the individual themselves, whether it's for self-care or the individual family and their needs and, you know, not comparing yourself to the Joneses and what works for somebody else, even a rad parent to rad parent, you know, situation. It's really important to be okay with, like you're saying, letting go of that ideal, stereotypical, perfect family or what you thought your role was or what it was going to look like and just start accepting where you're at and being okay, you know, making it work for you, even if it's different for somebody else. But that piece of really validation and it's okay, it's okay to recognize yourself. It's okay to do things differently because you're doing your best and you're still doing a good job, you know, but you have to make it work for you. Right. And, and going back to what we originally talked about, Tracy, like if you take yourself out, whether that's through lack of self-care, whether that's like emotional, whether that if you go down, it doesn't serve, that's not in the child's best interest. That's not. And you mentioned comparison. I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, um, comparison is the thief of joy. And that's one of my things I really try to, to live by. Like, what works, what works for me? Mm-hmm. You know, especially it's hard if you're watching any TV nowadays in 2020. And, uh, you know, that's <laughs> it's hard. And the way our social media and our influencers are set up and all of that, it's hard not to get sucked in to the comparison thing, even yeah. on regular issues, right? And parenting is one of, to me, it's one of the number one things that is a tender, tender place. And whether you're a parent or not a parent, 
I mean, really, for a lot of people, it is, and it's universal. You've had parents, or you are a parent, or both, right? So everybody's got a story around it. Everybody's got a how it should be done, especially those that tend to be closest to us, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's very personal, and it's very tender, and it it is one of those sore spots that can just take our knees out from under us, especially if we're feeling highly criticized. And, and a lot of times it's ourselves that are doing the criticism, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And living up to that, your own expectation or ideals, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of rad too is, you know, it's one of those things that isn't really known about by most people, including other professionals. So when you come into it as a parent, it's kind of surprise and you learn along the way. I remember meeting a friend for coffee and thinking, we are parenting exactly like she is parenting and she's a fantastic parent, role model, you know? And I remember thinking, but we're not getting the same result. Why is her child not doing this? And what, there was a lot of confusion and struggling. So I I you know, and you just start adapting and surviving through that. And then, you know, whether you get the rad diagnosis at the beginning, or if you get it six years later, like we did, you've dealt with six years of you don't even know what's happening and developed your own coping mechanisms and stuff that you have to work through too. And then when you do figure it out, there's not a lot of help. And I, so I love that we're talking today. I love that we met just by chance and that you have this background and you do what you do because it's like winning the lottery. Like, yay, there's somebody else out there that there is help. You know, you're not alone. There's people who get it. And Tracy, I just want to say to you, I'm so excited about this podcast because, you know, I do think podcasts are such a resource because you can listen to them when you go on a walk. You can listen to them while you're washing dishes. You can, you know, they, you can, you can tap into them when you need to. Because I know one of my things is I love to read books, but that's not always real. Like there's also, a lot of times there's not time, right? right. And if you're parenting young children, forget about it. Like, right. Um, because, oh, this very clearly, I want to say this. I always talk to folks about going back to basics, right? Good sleep good food, really exercise if possible, which sounds so simple, but I know for those of y'all that are parenting young children, often it's not that simple, but really resting when you can rest. Because when you were telling your story, Tracy, about getting a diagnosis six years later, you're exhausted by that point. Yeah. Like you, you're already like exhausted. And depleted. And depleted, right? Yeah. Yeah. We know that when our bodies are depleted and our adrenals are blown and when we, so we're not making great decisions because we're in survival mode. So how do, and, and here's the other thing I think that's really, I'm thinking about is incremental step, y'all. Like that old saying, I think my mother used to say it to me, like Rome wasn't built in a day. Like you didn't get depleted in a day. And it's going to take time to refill that bucket. So being really gentle with yourself and just incrementally steps and not, uh, boy, this is a big one, and not beating yourself up when you're not doing a good job of self-care. <laughs> because that's 
as women, right? Oh, I'm supposed to be doing this too. And then we beat ourselves up about not taking care of ourselves. <laughs> that doesn't help, right? Right. And it really is like you're saying about starting where you're at, no matter how big or little, whatever it is, just that one thing. And it is important to have somebody by your side helping you. you I honestly don't think you can do this alone. Or if you do, I don't know how well you come out of it, you know? And so, and you're starting a podcast. Talk about that. That's yes. exciting. So I am really excited. I had a podcast for a while called Incremental Steps. It was an environmental justice podcast. I'm actually transitioning and I'm launching a new podcast called Women Connected in Wisdom. And what it is, is it's based on the eight dimensions of wellness. So we're going to be having incredible guests that are going to talk about wellness from the standpoint of, you know, physical, emotional, mental, financial, social, um, occupational, like really, really, we're just going to be chatting and giving tools and techniques and resources because, you know, one of the things I know to be true is we can't do this alone. We need community. We need, um, people in our lives that we're connected to that can lift us up when we don't remember how to lift ourselves up, right? And remind us who we are. And for me, I've been very lucky with some amazing women in my life. My co-host, she's like, are we including men? And we, we take a deep breath and we're like, yeah, no, not on this one. Because we know some amazing men in our life. But the reality is women, often their voices don't get heard. And they have a lot of wisdom about how to do the hard stuff. Like, how do we do this stuff in a year like 2020? And so we're going to be talking about self and community care and really like, how do we do it? Yeah, check us out on, um, uh, we just have a new Facebook page called Women Connected in Wisdom Podcast. We're on Instagram and um, we're going live next week with our first podcast. So it's Congratulations. Be yeah, it's been a long time coming. I love that you are doing this, uh, especially now, because connection is incredibly hard, if not impossible in 2020, especially if your connections are out of state, out of country, far away. Zoom is one thing. It's great. Telephone calls, email, but it's not the same. And, you know, just knowing that people can tune in and listen, get support and feel like a part of a tribe. Uh, huge right now. So I love that. And that it's women focused. Come on. So great. Well, one of the things, Tracy, I've been really lucky in 2020 in a way, the, one of the gifts, I'm about to do a performance on the gifts of, uh, of the pandemic. And one of the gifts has been this platform. It has been, I do a thing called interplay, which uses movement and storytelling and voice. It helps. It's a somatic system that helps people get in their bodies and and tell their stories and, and start to heal. And we have been able to have connections. I've been blown away by it. Uh, but one of the things we do is we also get people to connect with themselves. So like even with, so a self-care trick and tip for your listeners is if you are suffering, right? Whether that's emotional, whether there's a thing going on, you can soothe yourself by just rubbing your arms, like taking a moment to rub and soothe and being intentional about soothing yourself, right? And I know it seems weird at first. You're like, okay, weirdo. Um, <laughs> Not at all. Speaking <laughs> of baby or a child that lets us, because sometimes our adoptive kids don't let us, right? 
Um, and we get out of that habit. That's another thing as an adoptive parent is sometimes if we're given the hands off or we're respecting people's sensitivities that we get out of the habit of even doing it with ourselves. So given a soothing, or if you need energy, you can pat yourself and do some patting up and down your arms and your body to give yourself aliveness and energy. It's a quick 30 second, one minute technique that you can do and make a game of sometimes with your kids, right? So you're taking care of yourself in the midst of, I always call it chaos in my house. But. It is chaos. It is chaos. That's a perfect word. I say the same thing. And you know, I love all these little tips that you're giving because they are so helpful and they're doable. I used to find my time, how I got started in my own healing was out of desperation. Like I say, you know, it's this or I'm going down and I'm not going down. So, and especially because of a kid from a broken system, mm -mm, no. And so I used to do five or 10 deep breaths. Just, I would wake up in the morning. That's when I had my time and I would literally do it before I got out of bed. And some, most days that was all I had starting out. It was a starting place. So really, you know, finding that time wherever, even if it's just when you wake up before you step out of bed into the chaos, right? You've given yourself something and it's a start. Yeah. The other thing for folks that are in their heads, which I'm one of those people too. I like to be in my head sometimes. Oh, in um, your head. Okay. People right. In their in head. head. Yeah. Is um, making a Google Doc of your successes and even the teeny tiny ones, right? Because we may have all day and not have a success or we may have, but when you have a success and it's your own measure of success, it's not anybody else's, write it down. So when you're having a really tough day, you can look at the successes and look at where you were and where you've come and what's going on because it establishes a a gratitude habit. And like you were talking about earlier, Tracy, with mindset, things may not be perfect, but if we can focus on the gratitude, and what is what is working i think that's huge it is huge and moment by moment right you may not look at that every day you might not write something down every day but doing it when you can i'm a big believer and it sounds like you would be too of those small things add up small changes over time add up to big things so you don't have to do the big things right out of the gate. You know, it really is just starting somewhere because I know it can feel impossible. It can feel like, you know, even what we're talking about today can feel like, oh, I can't even imagine where I'm going to find. I'm too stressed. I'm this, I'm that, but it is possible. And again, it's going back to, you just have to shift something and it doesn't have to be huge. So here's the other thing, because I say that thing to myself sometimes, I'm too stressed. And I try to catch myself anytime I say it and I try to change it with, I can handle this. Now, you have to be careful not to do what we do, what we talked about earlier and minimize it and really that I can't handle it by myself. But I start to shift it because I know our bodies listen to us, Tracy. Like, and when we tell ourselves we're too stressed, our bodies are stressed. So it's important to acknowledge like, okay, why am I feeling this way? Right? Why am I feeling overwhelmed or, and, and guarantee you've got the reasons. To feel I was going to that say way, that's right? the obvious part. Yeah. Guarantee it, right? I can list them all. Yeah. Right. But how to take a deep breath in that moment and say, I've got this or 
have this, so I'm going to reach out for help. Instead of holding it all and having that feeling of overwhelm or stress, or asking ourselves the question, where do I need support? Because here's the other thing I know to be true. I'm so guilty of this. Is sometimes I'm a control freak. And it's easier to do it myself than to ask for help or support. But that's only a short-term solution, right? And that, and figuring that out. And, and I know this in our system. I know this with our resources. I know, and this is the hard part, right? Sometimes it takes two or three times to get the right therapist or the right support or the right agency or the right, and that's a pain in the butt. I was going to yeah. say something else, but you know, <laughs> but I just encourage people to try again, right? Or reach out to your networks or reach out to people like Tracy who are, are doing the work in this area and there's resources and support. It may take because of individual situations, it may take more than once. It may take more than twice. It may take, you know, some folks go through three or four therapists before they're like, okay, this is the person for me and my family. But keep trying. Yeah. Because I think the support is vital. It is vital. It is so vital. Yeah. Thank you for having me today. This is a great conversation. It's been so great. Is there anything that I didn't know enough to ask or anything that I missed that you would like to share? Well, you know, you can find me on the internet. You know, I, you can find my website at christinegotro.com. And I'm also on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. I do all the things, right? And there's so many different ways to connect. Like if you just want a quick conversation, you can schedule on my website to just check. I am a big believer in making sure I'm a good match for folks. And if I'm not, finding somebody that's a good match for you. That's my social worker in me. Like I like to be a resource. Um, I also have a lot of interplay classes that I offer. So come over to my website, get signed up on my newsletter and you can plug in where you feel comfortable. Cause I do sometimes offer um, things for families too that can, can plug in in some somatic body ways. So just reach out and get connected and so your, your website is Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, and Gotro is spelled G-A-U-T-R-E-A-U-X. It's just ChristineGotro.com. Okay. And then it tells you on there how, how you can reach me. I'd love, to, I'd love to stay connected, and I enjoyed our conversation, and thank you. Thank you. And don't forget about checking into your podcast to Christine's podcast next right? week. Next week, Women Connected in Wisdom. So we're going to start with the podcast and go from there. But folks can find the book, Still Point, on any place you buy books. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's on Amazon. It's on all the places. Or you can just write to me and I'll sign it and send it to you. Thank you so much for this conversation, Tracy. This was awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.